many of you have been in the community groups, uh, many of you doing the devotions that we've been doing around here as well, and um, I think through it all, we are um, a more grace-filled church, we're more grace-filled individuals, um, I pray that we're also a more grace-filled um, city, a more grace-filled community that we have. Um, certainly, we want to be praying for the residents up in Paradise, uh, as well as down in the uh, Los Angeles, Thousand Oaks area, and uh, areas around Malibu, up in Chico, and, and just those types of areas that we are praying for right now. Um, we actually have some church members who have been a part of our church for years, John and Jan Crawford. Uh, who are um, living up in paradise, uh, evacuated, lost everything uh, in the uh, fires. Their daughter, I spoke with her this week as well, was in Florida. She lost a business as well as her home as well. We have some attenders here today, actually, who are being cared for by some of our church members. Say, come on in, live with us right now, stay with us, come here to church. Um, so, folks, we want you to know we are praying for you as well. And I pray that all of us are praying for those communities and for those individuals and peoples. I mean, I mean, that's what grace is. Grace goes above and beyond. Grace goes to places that we cannot go, but God's Spirit goes. Um, I, I think about the midterm elections that we just had on Tuesday, uh, and I think about our country and and really the 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 angst and the vitriol that comes from midterm elections and people having opinions and thoughts and and you know all of us kind of cast our our doubts and point our fingers at politicians and all that they do I, I wanted to give you a word of praise for one politician who stepped over into the grace arena uh, and gave an act of kindness to a young man um, his name um, the politician is Carlos Crebello uh, many of you probably didn't even see the story. It didn't really make national national headlines very much because of all that was taking place. But he awoke on October 24th to find a death threat on Twitter um, aimed at him. And so the FBI became quickly involved. The police moved in and arrested a 19-year-old by the name of Pierre Alejandro Vergas Castro from Homestead, Florida, um, he was arrested for making death threats on his Twitter account. Um, Corbello, when they discovered that the arrest was made, said thank you to the police and continued to go on. But in his heart and in his soul, he thought, you know what, I want to do something more. And so he reached out to this young man through the police department. And he asked the police, he said, was this a young man who truly was threatening of my life or you think it was someone who maybe has just made a bad decision at a downtime in his life. And the police said, you know what, um, why don't you contact him? We'll let you meet with him and just talk with him, and you can decide that for yourself. And so last Thursday, more than a week after his arrest, uh, Corbello held a news conference with a teenager who threatened to kill him uh, and take his life. And here's a picture of that news conference um, where um, it was discovered that they sat down and they talked together. And um, what the congressman came to realize was that he said, quote, in his own words, he was a really, really good kid. Um, who actually played piano, plays the guitar, was going to school to earn an associate's degree, had some personal things going on in his life, took them out on Twitter, something he will never, ever do again. I am very sure of that. Um, and when the, actually CNN picked up the story, they interviewed the congressman, and here's what he said. 
He said, I hope this young man can also share his story and we can all learn from it as a country and it can help put us down a better path because we're really worried about our country and the days that we're living in. In other words, I've extended grace. May we have a country that extends that kind of grace as well. Yeah, we can say thank you for people who step up and do the right thing. You know, I, we, we, we want that from our politicians. We want that from our elected leaders. But don't we also want that from our workplaces, our bosses, our work associates, our families, our churches? And that's us. It begins with looking at the person in the mirror and saying, am I that kind of a grace giver? Do, we, do I live that out in my own life? I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to who? Your, your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, it, it's up to us to share that grace. It's up to us to shine as lights and example so that people can give glory to God. In fact, we have to know that it's not a spiritual battle that we are in, but it's one of flesh and blood. Second Corinthians chapter 4, 4, we're reminded of that when it says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It, it's not a, a, a flesh and blood battle. It's a, it's a spiritual battle that we are engaged in and we are going through. And so we pray globally, but we react locally. We move locally. How, wh what do I mean by that? Paul gives us a great reminder in the book of Philippians where he says in chapter 2, to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of, and now watch this word, crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, we are to be the grace givers in the midst of a generation that we live in that might feel very twisted, very crooked. We're the lights to shine. We are the grace givers to extend God's grace. I love what Max Lucado says about this. Here's what he says. Let me quote this. He says, those who don't believe in Jesus take note of what believers do. Not just what you say, but what you also do. It says they make decisions about Christ by watching us. When we're kind, they assume Christ is kind. When we're gracious, they assume Christ is gracious. Courteous conduct honors Christ. Grace-filled living honors Christ. It makes a difference how we act, how we respond. And some of you have told me about the grace tests that you have had over these past seven weeks of places where you wanted to give grace, maybe sometimes were challenged to give grace, and sometimes you passed the test, sometimes you didn't. In fact, this uh, last month, it was about a month ago, my wife and I were at a place where we uh, had to use a valet parking service. And so I gave the keys to the valet parker, young kid, drove my car away, drove it back up, and about an hour later, and it had a huge scratch all the way down the side of the car. 
window to bottom of, of, of the car, just all along the side. He looks out at me very sheepishly and says, uh, Mr. Stahl, I am sorry, I ran into a wall. can imagine what I wanted to do in that moment, right? But there's that little something in the back of my mind. Give grace. Give grace. Accidents happen. That's why they're called accidents, right? I mean, now, not to get walked on. Of course, insurance companies were involved and all that kind of stuff. It'll be fixed. It's just a thing. It'll be repaired. Is it inconvenience? Absolutely it is, but it'll get fixed. No big deal. Be, grace, be gracious. Be grace-giving. Over the course of this series, We've had people who have taken steps filled with grace. I, I met with a young man whose dad, he had been estranged to us for seven years. And as we talked about some of the things that he was going through, I looked at him and I said, I think it's time for you to contact him. Don't wait for him to contact you. You contact him. I said, I'll read the letters. You, if you write a letter, I'll read you. I'll help you with it. All. He, he, he reached out. He sent it to his father, and his father responded back to him. And the very first words in the letter back to him were the words, Hooray, I have my son back. Yeah, grace-filled living. People who go over and beyond and say, What can I do to be God's love, to shine light, to show others in my life that God is wanting his grace to extend to them? I think about people who've made connections, reconnections with God over the uh, series that we've been having here. I think about others who have connected with, with work associates in ways that they never would have done before other than having that reminder in their minds, grace-filled, grace-filled living, grace-filled living, grace-filled living. And so I want to take a moment today and just review a little bit of what we've gone over in the past six or seven weeks. If you have your outline, take that out. And I wrote at the top, these words, it's actually halfway down the page on the front side. What does grace-filled living look like? How do we live that out? What does it mean practically? And three thoughts I have here. Most of them are review. We covered them in a little bit more detail throughout the series, but let's review them. The first one is this. It's that we no longer live in guilt. We no longer live in guilt. We're no longer condemned. We no longer stand guilty before God. We've been forgiven. In fact, Romans 8, 1, would you read this w verse with me off your outline or up on the screen? Let's read it together. Go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you recall, if you were here at the beginning of the series, that we talked about how that word in Christ Jesus means you are hidden in him. Much like this card, this postcard is hidden in Christ so that God no longer sees your life but sees you inside of what Christ has done for you. That's what that means, that word in Christ. And so when you are in Christ, you, don't long, you no longer have to live in condemnation and guilt, but you live in God's grace that he has given for you. In fact, speaking of these cards, we put out hundreds of them into our bulletins, and it was so fun about a month ago to see so many people writing what they realize God's grace is greater than. Put them up on the crosses and to see hundreds of these cards nailed to the cross. For some of you, it was a reality check. 
and say, yes, that's where my life now is. It's, it, it, it's nailed to the cross. My sin, my past is God's grace is greater than just some of the cards says greater than my pain, greater than my guilt, greater than my shame that I went through when I went through a divorce. When I was at my lowest, God reached out to me. Grace is greater than my mistakes and my past, greater than my ineptitude, greater than my drug addiction, greater than my porn addiction, greater than my gambling addiction, greater than the way I've messed up my marriage. In fact, one of the cards simply said, God's grace made me realize I needed him in my life. You think about the things that we've been able to say, God, it's nailed to the cross. It's done. It's true. For some of you to get that off your chest, for some of you to expose that for the first time, to put it up on the cross and realize that's where it stays. No condemnation in Christ. In fact, it's interesting. I uh, came across a uh, book um, called Post Secrets not long ago. And um, I didn't actually read through the book. It looked like it was kind of a little bit dark. It was written by an author by the name of Frank Warren. Um, But here's what he did. Again, the book's entitled Post Secrets. What he did is he gathered um, some postcards, and on the postcards he would place them in public arenas around the country, and he wrote on the postcards this. He said, you're invited to anonymously contribute a secret to a group art project. He says, reveal anything you want as long as it's true and you've never shared it with anyone. So it's got to be true, and it's never been shared with anyone before. And so he left those cards in the public places. People would fill them out. They would mail him back. He compiled all the cards. He put it into a book. Uh, and some of the comments are kind of weird. Some are kind of funny. Some are pretty disturbing. Um, but let me read you some. You want to hear some of these? Okay. Um, one uh, card, one woman wrote, I think women who wear makeup are lazy. I read that and I thought, if that is the only secret, you have one chance to bear your soul in a secret, and that was it? Another one said, uh, when I'm mad at my husband, I put boogers in his soup. (laughs) All right, being honest, right? Being honest there. Another one said, I'm afraid of women who wear capri pants. I'm actually afraid of men who wear capri pants, but that is a different subject, a different story, so we'll leave that one for now. Others are a little bit more unsettling, such as someone saying, every time I get my toenails done, I want to kick the girl who does them in, my f- in the face. Okay, I guess that's being honest, huh? Um, another one said, I hate people who include me in group texts. Another one says, I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. Some of them, though, are really sad. Like this where it says, I wish my father uh, had forgiven me when he was still alive. Or someone wrote, sometimes I wish I was blind just so I wouldn't have to look at myself in the mirror every day. Another one wrote, my husband doesn't know he's raising his best friend's child. Or when I sleep with my wife, I feel unfaithful to my lover. 
I haven't spoken to my dad in 10 years, and it kills me every day. Another writes, when I eat, I feel like a failure. I'm only happy when I buy things. And then the last one in the book is an interesting one. The last comment card in the book wrote this. I've told all my secrets. Now I feel free. Isn't that interesting? Something true, something that's never been told before, and when you write it, you feel a freedom. And yet the truth of the matter is, really, there is not freedom without God's grace and God's forgiveness. And as believers, that's what we now get to have. We get to have that not just experimenting or putting in a a, a word or a card into a group um, uh, art project, but we get to approach the God of gods who says, if you confess your sins to me, if you confess your secrets to me, you no longer have to live in guilt. I am faithful, I am just, I will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all right unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. That's what his scripture says for us. That's when true freedom comes in. That's when true uh, um, uh, non-guilty verdict comes in. That's when we can begin to feel like we don't have condemnation or to live in that condemnation. That's where we don't have to keep those secrets. Grace-filled living says, no, share that with God. Allow God to forgive that. That's number one. Number two, over the course of the series, we discover that grace-filled living looks like when we use our weakness, it's for God's strength. When we use our weakness, that's for God's strength. Because it's in our brokenness and our weakness that God's grace fills us up. But it is a daily battle that we struggle with where we have to choose that kind of grace to live in and that kind of weakness to live in as well. It's why Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, give thanks in all, what's the word there, in all what? In all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When you look at some of the brokenness that you've gone through in your life, when you look at some of the brokenness I've gone through in my life, we have to say, God, is it even then in that circumstance that I'm supposed to give thanks? Scripture says, yeah, it is. And here's how I want to explain this, because I think this will break down some misunderstanding about this type of a verse for us all. The word Thanksgiving, and we're entering into that Thanksgiving season, so hopefully this will kind of ruminate in in your mind. The word Thanksgiving is a Greek word um, that is um, uh, is translated from the word eucharistia. And it's a combination of two words, good and grace. Those two words put together form this word thanksgiving or giving thanks. And so the word thanksgiving, biblically, every time we read it in Scripture, is the idea of thanking God for His good grace. Those two words put together. Thanking God for His good grace. Because when you read the word in Scripture, it's almost never used for a specific circumstance. It's not used for specific things that are happening in our lives. But instead, thanksgiving in Scripture is used to thank God for who He is in the midst of those difficult circumstances or in the midst of those difficult situations that we experience. 
And so we thank God for his good grace, thanksgiving, and his good grace is not dependent upon what we are experiencing at the time. His good grace is, is given to us because we realize in difficult circumstances that God is bigger, that God is greater, that God is better than anything else. And we know that that's what we thank God for. We know in the midst of a tough situation that God is superior, God is sovereign, and so we give him thanks for who he is in all circumstances. It's a little bit like Paul writes. Remember Paul when he went through, we just talked about this last week, the thorn in the flesh, and he pleaded that that thorn in the flesh would be removed. And it says in 2 Corinthians that he got the answer back from God that said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in, what's the word here? In my weakness, in your weakness. That's where my power is made perfect in your life. And so Paul says, okay, if that's the answer I got, then I need to be thankful in the midst of that. He says, and I'll boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so the power of Christ can rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with my weaknesses. I'm content with the insults that I've had. I'm content with the hardships that I've experienced. I'm content with the persecutions I've had. I'm content with the calamities that I have gone through because when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm broken, that's when God can step in and use my life in a greater way that I never could have seen him work in my own strength. It's only in my weaknesses that God acts in a strong way. Corey Ten Boom gives a great illustration of this in her book, uh, Tramp for the Lord. You'll recognize that name, Corey Ten Boom. She was a uh, Holocaust survivor. Um, she wrote the book, The Hiding Place, and other books. One of them, again, Tramp for the Lord uh, by Corey Ten Boom. She writes a, about an uh, illustration about a woman that she met in Russia during the Cold War. And uh, let me just read the illustration, because in the Cold War, Christians were heavily, heavily persecuted in Russia. Here's what she says. She said, this old woman was lying on a small sofa, propped up by pillows. Her body was bent and twisted, almost beyond recognition by the dreaded disease of multiple sclerosis. Her aged husband spent all his time caring for her since she was unable to move off the sofa. In fact, there was only one part of her body that she could even control, and it was her index finger on her right hand. And so with that one finger, she would type all day, every day, sometimes even into the night she would be typing. But this woman wasn't just typing. She was actually translating. And with that one finger, she would translate the Bible and Christian books into Russian. Her husband hovered close by her and examined uh, and explained to me that he sometimes it takes a long time for even her finger to even hit one of the keys on the keyboard that she translated with. When Corey Ten Boom saw this, she thought, oh, my goodness, God, why would you let this happen? Why, when she's a believer, why would you even let this kind of thing? Why didn't you just heal her up? Why don't you step in and do something? As Corey Ten Boom is kind of going through her feelings on this, she writes that the wife's husband, the woman's husband, 
sensed my anguish and gave me the answer that I didn't ask out loud, but he could see on my face. He said, you know what? God has a purpose in her sickness. Every other Christian in the city is being watched by the secret police. But because she has been so sick for so long, no one ever looks in on her. They leave her alone, and she's the only person in the entire city who can translate undetected by the police. Corey Denboom writes about this. She says, you know what? I saw a woman who is unimpressive. I saw a woman who I felt sorry for. I saw a woman who I had pity for. But isn't it interesting that the one thing destroying her body, the one thing that we outwardly would pray, God, take this away, is the one thing that allows her to do what God's work needs to be done. The one thing that she maybe would have wanted removed is the one thing that God so powerfully moves in. That's when his grace steps into that place. And people of First Baptist, I've said this, I said it last week. I challenge you, put yourself in the places where you cannot do things on your own might and on your own power, where you need God to step in or it will not succeed. Because here's the truth. I've come to learn this more and more the older I get. The extent to which I'm able to experience the power of God's grace is in direct proportion to the extent which I recognize my brokenness and my weaknesses. Because that then allows God's grace to fill me up. That then allows God's grace to be richer. That then allows things to be done where I don't receive the glory, but God does. Kyle Edelman, the author of the book Grace is Greater, writes an interesting illustration. When he was in high school, he uh, was in the weight room with some buddies, and one of the buddies was bench lifting and actually benched about 200 pounds. Kyle said he was a little scrawnier back in those days, didn't know if he could do that, but he decided, you know what, can't know unless I try. And so he thought, I think I can do it, but what he wanted to do was not let anybody be there to see him if he failed. And so he waited for all of his buddies to leave the weight room, and he got down on the bench. And those of you who know how to lift weights and such and the free weights in a weight room, you never do it on your own. You wouldn't take that bar off the bench as you lay down on the bench on your back and, and, and bring it down because someone uh, needs to be there called the spotter who would help lift that up if you can't get it back up. And as I read through this illustration, I thought, okay, here it comes. You know, and he's going to put that off the bench. He's going to start to bring it down. He's going to not be able to get it up. He's going to struggle. He's going to yell. Someone's going to come running like God's grace comes running for us, right? You, you kind of think that that would be the illustration. But Kyle says, actually, that's not what happened. What happened is he laid on his back, and he began to look up at the bar, and his adrenaline began to pump. And then he took his hands back off the bar. He got up. He took the weights, and he put them back on the racks and he walked out of the weight room because he didn't want to try something that he couldn't fail or that he would fail at. And he didn't want others to know that he couldn't succeed in something and so he just didn't try. And he offers illustration and I want to offer it to you as well folks. That's okay in the weight room. That is not okay in the sanctuary. 
That's okay to do maybe in a weight room where you're going to fail and hurt yourself, but it's not okay to do in your personal life. It's not okay to do in your home life. It's not okay to do in your spiritual walk with God where, yes, we need to put ourselves out there. We need to say, God, unless you are in this, this is not going to happen. You look at the building again that we are sitting in today. This would not have happened unless God was in this. And God moving all of our hearts to come to this place of saying, God, we want to continue to grow. We want to continue to expand. We want to continue to get your word out. We want to continue for generations and generations to come. If you do not come to bring us home with you, that the word of Jesus can continue to go on and on and on and on. Next week, we're going to talk more about that, of what we've been doing to allow those types of things to happen in our lives. But we need to come to that place of saying, God, I can't just stay safe. I can't just do the things that I know I can do in my own power. I do them in my weakness because that's when your grace steps in. That's when your grace is greater. So we know we don't live in guilt. We also know that we don't live in our own strengths, but rather it's our weaknesses that God can be strong. And let me give you the last fill and it's on the back page, and that's this. Is that grace-filled living looks like we live redeemed lives. We live redeemed lives. I love this verse out of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 where it says this. It says, I thank him who gives me strength. And again, Paul, this theme of I'm weak, so God, you're strong, it's your strength. When you recognize it, it kind of permeates Paul's writing. To Timothy, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The verse goes on to say this. It says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me from the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the what? The foremost. I'm the worst. I'm the chief of sinners, Paul describes himself as. He knows he is not deserving of God's grace, but only because of God's grace, only because Paul emptied himself and redeemed him does he know that he can serve God. As God wants him to. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says it in that way where it says, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And realizing that and accepting that salvation allows us to be redeemed and allows us to know where our eternity will end up. And grace-filled people realize that. Grace-filled people live with thanksgiving. Grace-filled people know that Salvation brings eternity in heaven with us. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was um, contacted to be a greeter at Alex Spanos's remembrance uh, funeral at the Spanos Center. Alex Spanos passed away. Must have been about a month or so ago now. Um, uh, wonderful contributor to our community. Um, some of you live in Spanos East or Spanos West, UOP, and 
has his name on a number of buildings that he was generous to donate and work alongside with UOP um, to see our community grow and prosper in some of those ways. And when he passed away, um, there were a lot of different remembrances. Well, this is the big one that was at the Spano Center. And so it was by invitation only. And uh, I was invited to come be a greeter on the outside. In fact, some of you saw me in the, in the, in the newspaper. You said, I think that was your ear in the side of your face. Uh, in the paper, I said, yeah, that was me. Um, I, and I had a, a very interesting place to stand. It was right before the doors going into the Spano Center because um, the company said, as they did the training for us, they said, not everyone is invited to this. We're not allowing any of the media to come in. And if anybody is going to come in, they need to have a wristband on that would be given to them previously at a funeral service or mailed by the family or something to that extent. And so there were a number of celebrities there. There were a number of football owners who were there, personal friends of his. Um, and what I got to do is I got to stand at the door to greet people and to point people into the building. And, and, and I kind of had a little bit of fun with it because um, what I was able to do is I would see the people walking through the parking lot coming up the walkway, and I could see if they had a wristband on or not. And for the ones who had a wristband on, I was able to say, come on in, because there was a whole check-in station on the other side that people had to go to if they didn't have a wristband. And I was just able to say, oh, you know, come on in, come on in. Yes, we have a place for you. Come on in, come on in, we have a place for you. And then some people didn't have the wristband. I was like, over there, over there. And, and it, was, it, was, it was fun because most people didn't even know. They, couldn't, they didn't sense, okay, it was the wristband that was getting them in. And I thought, you know, that's a little bit what it's like, going to feel like for some of us when we die, approaching um, heaven, having those questions of am I going to get in or am I not, the only wristband that will ever get you in to have you stand perfect and spotless before God is Jesus on your life who has forgiven you of your sins, who has redeemed you, who allows you to step into heaven, not because of anything you have done, but because of his grace given to you that you've accepted. And you don't have to go over to the table to say, uh, am I on the guest list? You can know. You can have that assurance. Yes, come on in. You're in. Grace-filled people, we get to live with that kind of redeemed living. We get to live with that knowledge and that understanding and that celebration that we are God's children one day being reunited with Him. And until we come to that place of being reunited with Him, the challenge for us is to live as lights. The challenge is for us to live in that grace that He gives to us so that others may see our glorious Father in heaven and may also be challenged to look to Him and accept God's grace. Matt Chandler is a pastor who um, shared a story about a time when he was in Bible college. He was a freshman, and some of his buddies had befriended a woman who was a single parent. Her name was Kim. Kim had gone through some rough times in her life, kind of lived a hard life, but the guys were trying to witness to her. And so there was a, a concert that was going to be on campus, and they are like, hey, why don't you come to the concert with us? And so they brought her, and they had her in the concert. The concert was going on. It was a great Christian concert, praise, worship, and all that type of thing. And then halfway through the concert, a pastor got up and spoke. And Matt talks about being a freshman there at that and hearing this pastor speak with, a, with an edge to him as he talked about sexual choices that you can make in your college years. 
And this preacher kind of got up and, and he addressed the students and he was kind of angry of sorts. And he talked about STDs. He talked about statistics. Uh, and at one point in time, he gave an object lesson by pulling out a rose, a red rose. And he smelt the red rose, he kind of touched the red rose, and then he threw it into the audience. And he said, why don't you pass that red rose all the way through uh, the audience as that is here? And so everybody gets a chance to kind of touch and feel that red rose. And so they did that all the way through. And then the pastor continued to speak. And, and again, he got kind of angry, began kind of pointing his finger and, 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 and sharing kind of from this side of, of raising his voice and kind of in a bit of a condemning type of voice. And all the while, Matt saw where this was going, and Kim, who was sitting next to him, single mom, pretty rough path, she just had her head down in shame at feeling like she hadn't made wise choices in her life. And then the pastor challenged somebody, said, okay, would someone bring me the rose, wherever it may be, and I think it was up in the audience over this way, and so they ran the rose back down to him, and he brings it out, and he shows it now to the audience, and, it, and it, he says, you see this rose, it's a mess. It's completely broken. It's been used and abused and passed. It's been handled by everyone. It doesn't even smell like a rose anymore. He says, nobody wants this rose anymore. Nobody wants to buy this. And as Matt sat there, he said it was all he could do from standing up and yelling, Jesus wants that rose. Jesus died to buy that rose. Jesus died to have his life redeem that rose so that it can look like perfection in the days to come. I heard that illustration. I thought, you know what? That's what our church needs to know. That's what we need to remember in our lives. That yes, even if you may come in here and not feel like there's a whole lot of grace on your life right now, maybe you have been that rose passed around over and over and over and over again. Maybe you're the kind of person who's made some poor decisions in life. You know what? This is exactly the church that you need to be in. Because we are imperfect people who serve a perfect God. We are people who we can't earn God's grace, but God's grace comes to us because he gives it to us, because he loves us, even while we were imperfect, even while we were used and abused, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what grace-giving people know. We're no better than someone else. We're just forgiven by a God who loves us Today, maybe you're here and you know that. Then praise God. Celebrate with that. Understand you don't live guilty. You don't live condemned living. You live in your weaknesses so that God can be strong. You live and you understand he's redeemed you. But some of you may be here today have never experienced that. Even as we had in our 8 o'clock service this morning, I'm going to get to pray with you right now. And if today be your day that you say, God, your grace reaches far. I've never let it reach all the way to me, but today's the day it's going to, then I praise God that you'll be one who can say yes to him. Again, if you've already accepted him, the Lord and Savior, praise God. Pray for the people on your left, your right, front and back. But let's go to the throne of God's amazing grace and let's pray that today would be a day that some of you would say yes, that grace is also for me. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your incredible grace that extends so far into our lives. 
God, every sin we've ever committed, every thought we've ever had that has not been glorifying to you, I thank you that your grace covers that. I thank you that your grace is not dependent upon our living, but, Lord, it's only dependent upon your goodness and your love for us. And so, God, even now as we uh, talk about that incredible grace, Lord, I thank you for the hundreds in this building who have said yes to you, even as we've seen Three more get baptized here today, even as we have another dozen or so um, who are going to get baptized at the next service. God, I thank you for what it means to be a Christ follower, for what it means to stand up and say, yes, I accept, God, your grace in my life. Lord, I pray that we would also be people who extend that in so many ways. I pray that we'd be people who would live as lights to shine your goodness to others. And so, Lord, here today, we want to ask you to again extend your grace to some who have not said yes to you. Today, maybe if you've heard this message, maybe you've been here in this series, and yet you've not actually said, God, yes, I receive your grace. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I repent, I turn, I don't want to follow my own living. God, I want to follow yours. If today is your day to say yes to Jesus, then would you be bold about that? In fact, would you just pray in your own heart, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life today? I thank you for your incredible grace that is given to me, that grace that went to the cross, that I might be a child of God. In fact, today, if uh, that was your decision, would you be so bold even to look me up right now with your eyes? I can't see into the darkness really well, but if you just lift up your hand and let me know that today was your day to accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we would want to celebrate with you. We're not going to do anything great. We're not going to do anything to embarrass you, but if you just say, Pastor Brad, today was the day I made that decision. Would you just lift up your hand so I can see that? Praise God. Praise God. Two over there. Absolutely. Praise God. Praise God for that. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Keep looking over the auditorium. Make sure I can see you. I want to acknowledge you before the Father. God, thank you so much for these people. Anybody else? Over on my right. God, thank you for these decisions that were made here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. God saw that. God, I thank you for these decisions that you are observing, that in heaven today, your angels are rejoicing because sinners have come home, because people who need your grace have said yes to you, because people have said, God, I don't want to do it on my own strength. I want to do it in yours. Lord, I thank you for those who have been baptized that are farther down this road. God, I thank you for those here today who are brand new Christians in you. God, I thank you that even as we leave this place, we can celebrate with them. Folks, I'm going to challenge you. If you lift up your hand here today, after the service is over, either come talk to me or someone up here on stage, or we have some information you at our information center right outside these doors to your left. We want to help you take your next steps in understanding God's incredible grace for you. Lord, thank you for what your grace means. Thank you for being such a good, grace-filled God to us. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus.